Good morning again. It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, welcome. What are we talking about today? Love. Good. We're all about it. This is the summer of love. We're going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, until the end of August. We're taking love seriously and we're learning what that means. So today we're going to be in chapter 4. Again, we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to go through verse 21, which I believe is the end of the chapter. Um, the verses will not be on the screen behind me. And, uh, but you can follow along in an app or in the books that you've got uh, under your seats. Just go to the back of the Bible and then flip forward until you find 1 John. Find chapter 4 and then you're all set. Okay? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live Him in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that God is love. God is love. He is the definition and the source of love. Love originates in God Himself and is shown perfectly through His Son, but it's made complete in God's people. You, me, us. We are empowered and invited to participate in this love, giving and receiving, which brings God's love to perfect completeness and drives out every trace of fear. Um, we've been talking about love a lot recently, right? Um, and we always tend to think of the big stories of like what love demands of us. You know, we've talked about a few of them. Um, one of those stories might be, you know, a crazy couple who decided in college to fly across the world to uh, a developing country to devote their, their lives and resources uh, to uh, giving medical attention to underserved people. 
It's a great story of God's love. Um, there are other challenging stories. As I was reminded again of the story of a four-foot-nine woman who lives in Terre Haute, Indiana, by the name of Eva Moses Kaur. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, I was watching a documentary about her life, and if you haven't heard her story, Eva was one of the Mengele twins during the Holocaust. Um, horrific story. But in 1944, when she was uh, about nine years old, her family, who were Jews from Romania, were rounded up by the Nazis, placed on cattle cars, taken to Auschwitz. Um, at the selection platform, her mother, father, two older sisters were set aside and ultimately go, went to the gas chambers last time that she ever saw them again. But her and her sister were, happened to be twins and um, were set aside for experimentation by a guy named Joseph Mengele, who had this uh, wonderful nickname called the Angel of Death. And um, they were experimented on as little children. And so she, she went through this horrific experience. Um, and afterwards, once she was liberated and, and started to grow up, she used much of her life to track down the people, the war criminals that had caused and, and carried out these things. Um, but she found that no matter what she did, it didn't cure this incredible bitterness that she harbored towards Mengele and the Nazis for what they did. You ever hear one of these stories? Um, and this, this began to change in many, many years later, 1994, the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Um, after a period of incredible soul-searching and struggle, uh, Eva concluded that there was that the only power that she had was the power to love her enemies. And so she made a decision that she was going to forgive her tormentors. Um, she called it sharing the cure. Um, and it, this, this sharing the cure became the mission of her life, um, so much so that she would meet with former SS officers and talk with them about the forgiveness that she was ready to give them. And the new life that uh, she wanted to offer them. Um, and, and whenever there's this story of like overwhelming, incredible love, people immediately find um, fault with it, right? They, um, they struggle with it. They become furious. How in the world could you forgive and love people who did this to you, your sister, your family? But she said that her decision wasn't about the perpetrators, actually. That she, this is a quote for her. She says, I, I discovered about myself something life-changing. I discovered that I had the power to love. No one could give that power to me, and no one can take it away. It was all mine to use in whatever way I wished. Um, she even talked about how she chose to forgive and love Mengele. And she says this, she says, and if I forgive Mangala, the worst of them all, I might as well forgive everybody who's ever hurt me. <laughs> right? We think of love as being this sort of wishy-washy emotional feeling, this fuzzy-wuzzy kind of thing, a hallmark card. But love is tough. It's strong, it's gritty, it requires much of us. Um, and I, I don't know what you, like, I'm always amazed when I hear these stories of people uh, who find the power to 
like love their enemies and I'm moved by those stories, but at the same time, they always discourage me too because like I, you know, I have a hard time loving my kids. <laughs> uh, and they're not half bad. So again, um, our text today, 1 John 4, talks a lot about love. We're hearing about love again. In fact, this is kind of the crescendo of love in John's letter. 26 times the word love appears in this passage. 26 times. 51 overall in John. It's like, okay, we get it already. You like love. Um, if you were here last week, you, I, I subbed in and played guitar for the first time on a Sunday in a long time. And uh, I'm not a very good guitar player. And so because of that, I transpose every song that I'm going to play into the key of G because it's easier to play as a guitar player. That um, the capos are worth their weight in gold, let me tell you. Um, because it's, 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 I know other keys, but I'm not proficient in them. I want to transpose them into something that I can play naturally, confidently, right? And it's, it's as if John only knows how to play in one key. It's as if it, everything that he does gets transposed into the language of love. So we're talking about love again, which might be hard for some of us. I get it. All this love talk. Because when we hear about love, we um, immediately think about maybe the great stories that I've, you know, shared already about what love looks like and what love demands of us. And it feels sometimes maybe like an impossible standard to live up to. That like at the end of the day, we're just, when we're like exhausted from work and from another COVID wave and, and all, you know, all the stress of everyday life. When you, when you get a phone call or a text from that needy person again, or when someone you love makes a critical statement, when you get squeezed like a tube of toothpaste, you think, love's not the thing that's shooting out of me today, right? Sometimes we wonder maybe, uh, why couldn't John have just said, friends, let us tolerate one another? <laughs> you know? Let us put up with each other. Let us bear, like grit our teeth and just get through it together. That feels, you know, a little more attainable on some days. Another challenge some of us might have is, is um, the, the idea of loving ourselves. It's a, a topic we don't often talk about in Christian circles. Maybe we um, find it easy to be hypercritical about our flaws, our foibles, our failures. We feel maybe a sense of obligation to be compassionate to others, but we can't muster any compassion for ourselves. We beat ourselves up for what we've done or left undone. And we think or we've been told that this is what it looks like to be a faithful Christian. Is that what love looks like? Whether it's uh, loving a spouse that's different from us or have different views, loving a friend that doesn't seem to have time for us anymore, loving a sibling who knows how to push all the right buttons, or loving ourselves maybe in the midst of those tapes of never-ending criticism. When we reflect on love honestly, we realize that uh, we are all failures. 
right? We're flunkies. We're dropouts. We're love lemons. We're, uh, we don't live up. Can you relate? Can you relate to wanting to settle for something more doable, more attainable, more realistic? Today, family, we proclaim the good news that God is love. God is love. He is the definition and the source of love. Love originates in God Himself. And yes, it's demonstrated perfectly in His Son Jesus, but it's made complete in His people. Are you a love loser? Not a lovable loser. (laughs) But a loser at love. There's good news because you too are invited and empowered to participate in this love. You get a chance. God is ready to bring His perfect love to completeness in and through you, driving out every trace of fear. So let's walk through the text. Um, Because if love is central to our faith as followers of Jesus, but we feel like we are failures at it, then we have to look at uh, reasons why it's not just um, important and vital, but possible. How we can actually uh, grab hold of it and attain it. Uh, for ourselves and for others. So here's the first thing, and I'm going to share three reasons that we can know that love is possible. I don't always uh, write my sermons in lists, but when I do, I do. So, (laughs) neat, right? Uh, So number one is loving others is possible because of who God is, because of who God is. 1 John uh, verse 4, 7 and 8, and then again in verse 16 says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, uh, who, who does not love does not know God because, guess what? God is love. Verse 16, God is love. Whoever, lives, whoever loves lives in God and God in them. God is love. Who's the most loving person you've ever known? No, I mean like people in your actual life. Like, who's the most loving person you've ever known? You can think about it. Maybe it's a a parent, um, a good friend. Picture that person. Picture the love that you've received from them. Um, Even though that person might be a picture of love for you and and loving to very core, would you say of that person that they are the definition of love? That love defines everything they are and everything they do. They may be loving, but usually we would say that love doesn't completely characterize that one person. So when John is talking about God, he's not saying that God is loving. He's saying God is love. It's more than just a metaphor. It's more than just a characteristic. God is love. It's His identity that completely encapsulates who He is. He is the very source and the definition of love. Love flows from God's presence like light flowing from the sun. It's just what happens. It constantly expresses who He is. God's love is a truth more and reliable than the ground that we walk on, the air that we breathe. It's the very essence of His being and it saturates every fiber of His being. All of His attributes and all of His activities are defined by love. 
When God creates, He creates in love. When God rules, He rules in love. When God judges even, God judges in love. Love is never absent from God's being. And we see God's love in action when we see Jesus. He is God's love on display. It's a different kind of love than we've found anywhere else. We struggle to comprehend it. It's unlike anything that we've seen because it's unlike our love. Our love is characterized by ifs and buts and becauses and what ifs. Henry Nouwen puts it this way about our sort of love. He says, yes, I love you, if. I love you if you are good-looking, intelligent, wealthy. I love you if you produce much, sell much, buy much. I love you if you have a good education, a good job, good connections. The world's love is and always will be conditional. By contrast, God's love is love because that's the kind of God He is. God is love, full stop, period, end of sentence. And nothing in us, nothing in us, or what we've done, prompts, causes, or halts His love. We did not love God first, but He loved us first. This is what John tells us. You didn't earn it, and you can't do anything to unearn it. He loves with a mighty love that has no beginning and no end. Friends, the good news that we proclaim today is that God is love. He is the definition and the source of love. Love originates with Him, is demonstrated in His Son, but is made complete in His people. Today, we, even love losers and failures, are invited to participate in this love that brings perfect completeness to you and to me, driving out every trace of fear. Second, love is possible because of what God has done. Verse 9 and 10 say this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John is writing in a midst of a context, right? A culture that's very different from our culture, um, but it's similar in that love always had stipulations and conditions to it. And so in Greek and Roman society, uh, outside of Christian influence, the only people who were loved were those who demonstrated that they were worthy of love. There's an honor-shame society. And if you were honorable by your virtue, by what you could repay, by your name and your status in society or by your family, you would receive love on the basis of those things. And there was a whole order, hierarchy in society of those who deserved more than others based on those characteristics. But this God, who is love, expressed His love by sending His Son to live among us. And not just among um, everyone, although that's true, but among the lowest of the low on that totem pole the very bottom of the barrel. And He died on a cross for us. He rose from the dead before us and the resurrection and the revelation of love to us. All of this models what genuine love looks like. 
In Jesus' day, the religious leaders of his time thought that love looked like restrictive rule-keeping, keeping people in line for the sake of earning God's love. But Jesus shows us something different. God in a whole new way. The God that Jesus makes known is full of grace and truth. And even the very laws that God gives are prompted by love and they lead us to the greater love that's found in Him. Friends, God is love. The good news is He is the very definition and the source of love. It originates in Him. It's demonstrated by Him in His Son, but it's made complete in us, in His people. And if you failed to live up to that standard, if you failed to love anyone, good news is you too have a place. You have a home in his love. And God wants to empower you to participate in it. And he's ready to bring you to perfect completeness in and through it, driving out any fear you might have. The last one is that love is possible because of who we are. Who God is, what he's done, finally who we are. Verse 11 and 12 say, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we, li- if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. This call to love is not another thing that you add to your to-do list. It's not like you know, I don't know, mow the lawn, wash the car, and love one another. Boom, boom, boom. It's not so much something that we uh, need to do as much as it is a declaration of our identity, who we are as children of God who've been brought into this family. Love isn't something you choose to do or not to do as much as something that you choose to live out and to be. And John is saying to his community, as he's reminding us, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And this call then it, it, to love others, it doesn't come without help. God doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. 1 John 4.13 says the Spirit's given to each of us, enabling us to love and to walk out our identity. Um, excuse me for using a baseball analogy. I've probably used several of them because... That's just been our life for the last four months or so. Um, But, you know, if I can use the baseball analogy, God isn't um, standing on the sideline of the game looking at our batting average and hoping that we'll do better next time. He isn't going like, well, I don't know, you're sub-200 batting average here at Love. Like, let's kick it into gear here, guys. Let's try a little harder. No, he's... He's both the dad who's soft-pitching opportunities to love to us each and every day, as well as the voice that's in us saying to us, take a swing. There's nothing to lose here. You have nothing to fear. God isn't looking for (laughs) consistent batting average. He's looking for the one time out of the 99 that we trust Him enough to love others with our words and our actions. To take the risk. To push out the fear. 
And we're told that the more that we make our home in God's love, the more we abide in Him, the more we respond to the voice of Jesus through His Spirit, the more we grow and we mature in that love. See, um, we talked about this before, but there's a group of people that have deserted this community that prompted John's letter. They've gone back to their Judaism or they've gone to other sects and societies that are saying different things about Jesus and about God's identity. They're searching for God in many ways, but they're, and they're, they're claiming to have found him. Some of these people are coming back to John's community with the message of, hey, we're having visions of God. It's amazing over here. Stuck like having to deal and love one another and like maybe just tolerate each other in this little community. But over here at Mega Community, we're seeing visions, y'all. We got God over here. He's, he ain't here. We've seen him. So what does John say? He reminds his community, no one's ever seen God. Those people over there that claim that they've got visions, they're off their rockers. God isn't there because God doesn't show himself through that, that, that those over-the-top kinds of ways. It's not because God doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be experienced. He, he wants those things for us. But God has chosen that the way that he'll be seen in the world is through a community who's able to abide in his love. No matter how small that community might be. No matter how big the other communities might be and how much they claim to have God's presence. John is saying, no, 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 don't forget who you are. God, God is seen through a family who's able to love one another through everything. That's how you're going to see God. And people long for a taste of this kind of love, don't they? They, they desire it almost above everything. Not just to be told about love, but to be shown that they're loved, to be able to see that, they're, that they belong. And where will they find it? They'll find it through us. The way that God is manifesting Himself today, the way that He is making His presence known to the world is through a people who love one another. That's it. So God, who once revealed himself through his son, now reveals himself in his people as they love each other. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete in us. In this, in this world, we are like Jesus. That is a fascinating statement. <laughs> In this world, we are like Jesus. Did you catch that? That's crazy. That's radical. It's saying like that, that we have um, we we complete something that is unfinished. I don't know if if you've ever done any like electrical work in your house, um, or even just had a breaker turn off like unexpectedly. Several weeks ago, we plugged too many things into the, the one GFI outlet and like the circuit blew, right? Coffee pot, toaster oven, water kettle. Turns out you can't use all three at the same time. Um, 
So the, the, the circuit blew, and we discovered, you know, where the problem was, went down to the panel and flipped the circuit back on, and lo and behold, the power returned. Now, where was the, the, the power was there, but it wasn't completed. If you know anything about a circuit, you have to complete the circuit in order for the power to flow through that circuit and be of any use to anyone, right? You can have power ready, readily available, but if it's not completed, it's not useful. So when the circuit's restored, the electricity flows and the appliances work as they were designed. John is saying that God's love for us is perfected when we reproduce it to the world. It completes the circuit. It doesn't mean that it wasn't available to us before, but by loving others, choosing to take the risk, taking a swing, if I can cross metaphors, we complete the circuit. And that, that circuit is complete not just for those that we offer love to, it's completed for us as well because we are part of the circuit too. It's, it's, it's paradoxical that if you've ever, if you said to yourself recently, I am having a hard time experiencing the love of God, the paradox of the Christian life is that when you give it away, you receive it yourself. When you lose your life, you find it. When you love others, you feel loved. It's bonkers, but this is the way that God designed it. This is how he made the circuit to function. We are never more complete and we are never more like God than when we choose to love. And then finally in verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, um, to fear is to begin to suffer punishment. It's to anticipate evil. It's the notion that at some point God's love will run out and I'm going to be alone. It's this, like, if you don't love, if you don't obey, if you don't believe, then God's going to withdraw His love for you. I mean, if, if, um, if you primarily got into the Christian life because you were afraid of going to hell, chances are that same fear still resides in you today. Because it was all about fear of punishment rather than the acceptance of love. It was a transaction to get you out of something rather than you saying yes to belonging and getting into something. That's not the way the gospel works. The way the gospel works is that you say yes to the love of God. See, that fear of rejection, of punishment, it lives inside of all of us. And maybe for some of us it was packaged with the way that you heard the good news of Jesus. John says... This needs to be driven out of you. It needs to be driven out. And the only way that it gets driven out is through perfect love. The only cure for this fear is God's love. Because when it appears, there's no room for fear. It can't exist in the same place. It melts away in the presence of love. So once we are assured that we are like him, that we are God's children, and that his love for us, for you, will never cease, 
then and only then can you cease to be afraid. When you're upheld, when you're surrounded, when you're supported by this love, who in the world could be afraid, right? Friends, the good news is that God is love. He is the definition and the source of love, and we are invited to that love. Yes, all of us. You too. Empowered in that love, which brings God's love to perfect completeness, completing the circuit and driving out every trace of fear. So as we respond, which is what we do um, after hearing good news, God invites us to respond with our minds, with our hearts, with our bodies. As we respond, let me ask, when, when do you feel um, like a failure at love? When, you, when do you go through this cycle of failure, feeling guilty, giving up, picking yourself up, and then trying harder next time? Where does this cycle happen for you? Is it in a certain relationship like your spouse or your kids? Is it in a certain environment like work or school? Is it with somebody here in, the, in this community that you feel like you've failed? Chances are there is some type of fear connected to that inability to love. And it's a, love that, it's a fear that can only be driven out by the love of God. For me, so often, um, my inability to love others is connected very often to my fear that I don't want others to think that I don't know what I'm doing. I have this fear that I'll be seen as incompetent or incapable. And the, the moments when I struggle to love others are when I'm in situations or environments that trigger my need to look smart, strong, wise, capable, put together. And so for me, perfect love is completed when I can re actually rest in my vulnerability. When I can say, I don't know what to do here, and I don't know what to say, but I know that God is love. How about for you? Where does fear rule the show? Where does it keep you from loving others? Where does it, to go back to my baseball analogy, when does it keep the bat on your shoulder? Because you're too afraid to swing. Is it fear that you'll get it wrong, fear that you'll look like a fool, fear that it'll take more than what you can give? Identify it, name it, and bring it before God. Perfect love has the ability to drive out all those fears and more. And the good news is we're, we're all beginners. We all get a fresh start every day. And so today, friends, God is here and we have a new opportunity to love whoever happens to be within our reach. So take a swing. Take a swing. If we start small, greater and greater opportunities will come our way. And then maybe one day, I don't know, maybe one day we'll be able to love like this four foot nine woman from Terre Haute. Or a couple that's living in Swaziland. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are present among us and at work and that you meet us right where we really are. 
as we uh, maybe put our finger on a fear that keeps us from loving others? Would you um, enable us to honestly reckon with that? Not just so that we would know it's there, but so that you could baptize that fear in love so that it could no longer have a foothold in our hearts. God, we thank you that your love is most perfectly displayed in your son, a love that we so often can't comprehend. But we thank you that it's not just a distant memory. It's a present reality that we get to say yes to. So enable us, God, to say yes. And empower us by your Holy Spirit to carry it out. In Jesus' name.